Chapter Five of *The Abbot's Ghost*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Lee Paquette. *The Abbot's Ghost* or Maurice Treherne's Temptation by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Five, Under the Mistletoe. Unusually gay and charming the three young friends looked, dressed alike in fleecy white with holly wreaths in their hair, as they slowly descended the wide oaken stairway arm in arm. A footman was lighting the hall lamps, for the winter dusk gathered early, and the girls were merrily chatting about the evening's festivity, when suddenly a loud, long shriek echoed through the hall. A heavy glass shade fell from the man's hand with a crash, and the young ladies clung to one another aghast, for mortal terror was in the cry, and the dead silence followed it. "'What was it, John?' demanded Octavia, very pale but steady in a moment. "'I'll go and see, miss,' and the man hurried away. "'Where did the dreadful scream come from?' asked Rose, collecting her wits as rapidly as possible. "'Above us somewhere.' "'Oh, let us go down among people. I am frightened to death,' whispered Blanche, trembling and faint. Hurrying into the parlour, they found only Anon and the Major, both looking startled and both staring out of the windows. "'Did you hear it? What could it be? Don't go and leave us!' cried the girls in a breath as they rushed in. The gentlemen had heard couldn't explain the cry, and were quite ready to protect the pretty creatures who clustered about them like frightened fawns. John speedily appeared, looking rather wild, and as eager to tell his tale as they to listen. "'It's Patty, one of the maids, miss, in a fit. She went up to the north gallery to see that the fires was right, for it takes a power of wood to warm the gallery, even enough for dancing, as you know, miss. Well, it was dark.' for the fires was low, and her candle went out as she whisked open the door, being flurried, as the maids always is when they go in there. Halfway down the gallery she says she heard a rustling, and stopped. She's the pluckiest of them all, and she called out, "'I see you,' thinking it was some of us trying to frat her. Nothing answered, and she went on a bit, when suddenly the fire flared up one flash, and there right before her was the ghost.' "'Don't be foolish, John. Tell us what it was,' said Octavia sharply, though her face whitened and her heart sank as the last word passed the man's lips. "'It was a tall black figure, miss, with a dead white face and a black hood. She see it plain, and turned to go away, but she hadn't gone a dozen steps when there it was again before her, the same tall, dark thing with the dead white face looking out from the black hood. It lifted its arm as if to hold her, but she gave a spring and dreadful screech, and ran to Mrs. Benson's room, where she dropped in a fit. "'How absurd to be frightened by the shadows of the figures in armor that stand along the gallery,' said Rose, boldly enough, though she would have declined entering the gallery without a light. "'Nay, I don't wonder. It's a ghostly place at night. How is the poor thing?' asked Blanche, still hanging on the Major's arm in her best attitude." "'If Mamma knows nothing of it, tell Mrs. Benson to keep it from her, please. "'She is not well, and such things annoy her very much,' said Octavia, "'adding as the man turned away, 
Did anyone look in the gallery after Patty told her tale? No, miss. I'll go and do it myself. I'm not afraid of man, ghost, or devil, saving your presence, ladies, replied John. Where is Sir Jasper? suddenly asked the Major. Here I am. What a deuce of noise someone has been making. It disturbed a capital dream. Why, Tavy, what is it? And Sir Jasper came out of the library with a sleepy face and tumbled hair. They told him the story, whereat he laughed heartily, and said the maids were a foolish set to be scared by a shadow. While he still laughed and joked, Mrs. Snowdon entered, looking alarmed and anxious to know the cause of the confusion. "'How interesting! I never knew you kept a ghost. Tell me all about it, Sir Jasper, and soothe our nerves by satisfying our curiosity.' she said in her half-persuasive, half-commanding way, as she seated herself on Lady Treherne's sacred sofa. "'There's not much to tell, except that this place used to be an abbey, in fact, as well as in name. An ancestor founded it, and for years the monks led a jolly life here, as one may see, for the cellar is twice as large as the chapel, and much better preserved.' but another ancestor, a gay and gallant baron, took a fancy to the site for his castle, and in spite of prayers, anathemas, and excommunication, he turned the poor fellows out, pulled down the abbey, and built this fine old place. Abbot Boniface, as he left his abbey, uttered a heavy curse on all who should live here, and vowed to haunt us till the last Traherne vanished from the face of the earth. With this amiable threat, the old party left Baron Roland to his doom, and died as soon as he could in order to begin his cheerful mission. "'Did he haunt the place?' asked Blanche eagerly. "'Yes, most faithfully from that time to this. Some say many of the monks still glide about the older parts of the abbey, for Roland spared the chapel and the north gallery which joined it to the modern building. Poor fellows, they are welcome.' and once a year they shall have a chance to warm their ghostly selves by the great fires always kindled at Christmas in the gallery. Mrs. Benson once told me that when the ghost walked it was a sure sign of a coming death in the family. Is that true? asked Rose, whose curiosity was excited by the expression of Octavia's face and a certain uneasiness in Sir Jasper's manner in spite of his merry mood. There is a stupid superstition of that sort in the family, but no one except the servants believes it, of course. In times of illness some silly maid or croaking old woman can easily fancy they see a phantom, and if death comes they are sure of the ghostly warning. Benson saw it before my father died, and old Roger, the night my uncle was seized with apoplexy. Patty will never be made to believe that this warning does not forebode the death of Maurice or myself, for the gallant spirit leaves the ladies of our house to depart in peace. How does it strike you, cousin? Turning as he spoke, Sir Jasper glanced at Treherne, who had entered while he spoke. I am quite sceptical and indifferent to the whole affair, but I agree with Octavia that it is best to say nothing to my aunt if she is ignorant of the matter. Her rooms are a long way off, and perhaps she did not hear the confusion. "'You seem to hear everything. You were not with us when I said that.' And Octavia looked up with an air of surprise. Smiling significantly, Traherne answered, "'I hear, see, and understand many things that escape others. 
Jasper, allow me to advise you to smooth the hair which your sleep has disarranged. Mrs. Snowdon, permit me. This rich velvet catches the least speck. And with his handkerchief he delicately brushed away several streaks of white dust which clung to the lady's skirt. Sir Jasper turned hastily on his heel and went to remake his toilet. Mrs. Snowdon bit her lip, but thanked Treherne sweetly and begged him to fasten her glove. As he did so, she said softly, "'Be more careful next time. Octavia has keen eyes, and the Major may prove inconvenient.' "'I have no fear that you will,' he whispered back with a malicious glance. Here the entrance of my lady put an end to the ghostly episode, for it was evident that she knew nothing of it. Octavia slipped away to question John, and learned that no sign of a phantom was to be seen. Treherne devoted himself to Mrs. Snowdon, and the Major entertained my lady, while Sir Jasper and the girls chatted apart. It was Christmas Eve, and a dance in the great gallery was the yearly festival at the Abbey. All had been eager for it, but the maid's story seemed to have lessened their enthusiasm, though no one would own it. This annoyed Sir Jasper, and he exerted himself to clear the atmosphere by affecting gaiety he did not feel. The moment the gentleman came in after dinner, he whispered to his mother, who rose, asked the general for his arm, and led the way to the north gallery, whence the sound of music now proceeded. The rest followed in a merry procession, even Treherne, for two footmen carried him up the great stairway, chair and all. Nothing could look less ghostly now than the haunted gallery. Fires roared up a wide chimney at either end. Long rows of figures clad in armor stood on each side, one mailed hand grasping a lance, the other bearing a lighted candle, a device of Sir Jasper's. Narrow windows pierced in the thick walls let in gleams of wintry moonlight. Ivy, holly, and evergreen glistened in the ruddy glow of mingled firelight and candle-shine. From the arched stone roof hung tattered banners, and in the midst depended a great bunch of mistletoe. Red-cushioned seats stood in recessed window-nooks, and from behind a high-covered screen of oak sounded the blithe air of Sir Roger de Coverley. With the utmost gravity and stateliness, my lady and the general led off the dance, for according to the good old fashion, the men and maids in their best array joined the gentlefolk, and danced with their betters in a high state of pride and bashfulness. Sir Jasper twirled the old housekeeper till her head spun around and around, and her decorous skirts rustled stormily. Mrs. Snowdon captivated the gray-haired butler by her condescension, and John was made a proud man by the hand of his young mistress. The major came out strong among the pretty maids, and Rose danced the footman out of breath long before the music paused. The merriment increased from that moment, and when the general surprised my lady by gallantly saluting her as she unconsciously stood under the mistletoe, the applause was immense. Everyone followed the old gentleman's example as fast as opportunities occurred, and the young ladies soon had as fine a color as the housemaids. More dancing, games, songs, and all manner of festival devices filled the evening. Yet, under cover of the gaiety, more than one little scene was enacted that night, and in an hour of seeming frivolity the current of several lives was changed. 
by a skillful maneuver, Anon led Octavia to an isolated recess, as if to rest after a brisk game, and taking advantage of the auspicious hour, pleaded his suit. She heard him patiently, and when he paused, said slowly, yet decidedly, and with no sign of maiden hesitation, "'Thanks for the honor you do me, but I cannot accept it, for I do not love you. I think I never can.' "'Have you tried?' he asked eagerly. "'Yes, indeed I have. I like you as a friend, but no more. I know Mamma desires it, that Jasper hopes for it, and I try to please them. But love will not be forced, so what can I do?' And she smiled, in spite of herself, at her own blunt simplicity. "'No, but it can be cherished, strengthened, and in time won, with patience and devotion.' Let me try, Octavia. It is but fair, unless you have already learned from another the lesson I hope to teach. Is it so? No, I think not. I do not understand myself as yet. I am so young, and this is so sudden. Give me time, Frank. She blushed and fluttered now, looked half angry, half beseeching, and altogether lovely. How much time shall I give? It cannot take long to read a heart like yours, dear. And fancying her emotion a propitious omen, he assumed the lover in good earnest. Give me time till the new year. I will answer then, and meantime leave me free to study both myself and you. We have known each other long, I own, but still this changes everything, and makes you seem another person. Be patient, Frank, and I will try to make my duty a pleasure." I will. God bless you for the kind hope, Octavia. It has been mine for years, and if I lose it, it will go hardly with me. Later in the evening, General Snowdon stood examining the antique screen. In many places, carved oak was pierced quite through, so that voices were audible from behind it. The musicians had gone down to supper, the young folk were quietly busy at the other end of the hall, and as the old gentleman admired the quaint carving, the sound of his own name caught his ear. The housekeeper and butler still remained, though the other servants had gone, and sitting cosily behind the screen, chatted in low tones, believing themselves secure. "'It was Mrs. Snowdon, Adam, as I'm a living woman, though I wouldn't say it to anyone but you. She and Sir Jasper were here wrapped in cloaks and up to mischief, I'll be bound.' She is a beauty, but I don't envy her, and there'll be trouble in the house if she stays long. "'But how do you know, Mrs. Benson, she was here? Where's your proof, Mum? asked the pompous butler. "'Look at this, and then look at the outlandish trimming of the lady's dress. You men are so dull about such matters you never observe these little points. Well, I was here first after Patty.' and my light shone on this jet ornament lying near where she saw the spirit. No one has any such tasty trifles but Mrs. Snowdon, and these are all over her gown. If that ain't proof, what is? Well, admitting it, I then say what on earth should she and Master be up here for at such a time? asked the slow-witted butler. Adam, we are old servants of the family, and to you I'll say what tortures shouldn't draw from to another. Master has been wild, as you know, and it's my belief that he loved this lady abroad. There was a talk of some mystery or misdeed or misfortune more than a year ago, and she was in it. 
I'm loath to say it, but I think Master loves her still, and she him. The general is an old man, she is but young, and so spirited and winsome she can't in reason care for him as for a fine, gallant gentleman like Sir Jasper. There's trouble brewing, Adam, mark my words. There's trouble brewing for the Trehernes. So low had the voices fallen that the listener could not have caught the words had not his ear been strained to the utmost. He did hear all, and his wasted face flashed with the wrath of a young man, then grew pale and stern as he turned to watch his wife. She stood apart from the others, talking to Sir Jasper, who looked unusually handsome and debonair as he fanned her with a devoted air. "'Perhaps it is true,' thought the old man bitterly. They are well matched, were lovers once, no doubt, and long to be so again. Poor Edith, I was very blind. And with his grey head bowed upon his breast, the general stole away, carrying an arrow in his brave old heart. Blanche, come here and rest. You will be ill to-morrow, and I promised Mamma to take care of you. With which elderly sisterly command, Rose led the girl to an immense old chair, which held them both. Now listen to me, and follow my advice, for I am wise in my generation, though not yet grey. They are all busy, so leave them alone, and let me show you what is to be done. Rose spoke softly, but with great resolution, and nodded her pretty head so energetically that the holly-berries came rolling over her white shoulders. We are not as rich as we might be, and must establish ourselves as soon and as well as possible. I intend to be Lady Treherne. You can be the Honourable Mrs. Anon if you give your mind to it. "'My dear child, are you mad?' whispered Blanche. "'Far from it. But you will be if you waste your time on Maurice. He is poor and a cripple, though very charming, I admit.' He loves Tavy, and she will marry him, I am sure. She can't endure Frank, but tries to because my lady commands it. Nothing will come of it, so try your fascinations and comfort to the poor man. Sympathy now will foster love hereafter. Don't talk so here, Rose. Someone will hear us, began her sister, but the other broke in briskly. No fear. A crowd is the best place for secrets. Now remember what I say, and make your game while the ball is rolling. Other people are careful not to put their plans into words, but I'm no hypocrite, and say plainly what I mean. Bear my sage counsel in mind, and act wisely. Now come and begin. Treherne was sitting alone by one of the great fires, regarding the gay scene with serious air. For him there was neither dancing nor games. He could only roam about catching glimpses of forbidden pleasures, impossible delights, and youthful hopes for ever lost to him. Sad but not morose was his face, and to Octavia it was a mute reproach which she could not long resist. Coming up as if to warm herself, she spoke to him in her usually frank and friendly way, and felt her heart beat fast when she saw how swift a change her cordial manner wrought in him. How pretty your holly is! Do you remember how we used to go and gather it for festivals like this, when we were happy children? he asked, looking up at her with eyes full of tender admiration. Yes, I remember. Everyone wears it tonight as a badge, but you have none. Let me get you a bit. I like to have you one of us in all things. 
She leaned forward to break a green sprig from the branch over the chimney-piece. The strong draught drew in her fleecy skirt, and in an instant she was enveloped in flames. "'Maurice, save me! Help me!' cried a voice of fear and agony, and before anyone could reach her, before he himself knew how the deed was done, Treherne had thrown himself from his chair, wrapped the tiger-skin tightly about her, and knelt there clasping her in his arms, heedless of fire, pain, or the incoherent expressions of love that broke from his lips. End of chapter 5 Recording by Linda Lee Paquette